welcome to the Manifest Your Career podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Norma Reyes, a Latina career and life coach. With this podcast, I help successful women learn how to combine their intuition and logic so that they can manifest their dream career. By listening to my podcast, you'll learn how to go from feeling stuck and lost on what to do next to having the clarity, motivation, and strategies to manifest the career of your dreams. Each episode, I'll teach you the skills, strategies, and mindset you need, girl, to get in alignment with your career goals. Now let's go ahead and get started. Hey guys, welcome back. This is episode 21 and I have an amazing guest for you all. Her name is Dr. Carla Peña, who just graduated with her doctorate in educational leadership on August 13th. Congratulations to her. Carla became an assistant principal at the age of 28, the youngest in her community and a principal at 34. She has such an amazing story, guys. Just wait till you hear it. She was an immigrant student that came to the U.S. when she was in middle school. She graduated in the top 5% of her high school and a year early. She graduated summa cum laude from Texas A&M International University with a bachelor's in business administration. She worked for a manufacturing company while she was earning her bachelor's degree and i'm not going to spoil that story for you guys you got to hear that story which is amazing when she completed her bachelor's degree she went into education her goal was to go into higher education but she fell in love with teaching and the k-12 field so i won't keep you guys any longer here is dr benya Great. Well, thank you for being here, Carla. Can you tell us about your family background? Where did you grow up and who did you live with? Okay. Well, first of all, thank you so much for inviting me. I was born in Pachuca, Hidalgo, Mexico, 1985. I was actually raised there for a good amount of time. My family family has a completely different background, I guess, when it comes to to careers, but my parents were teenage parents. So fairly young, they had me at 18, both of them. So they had to to find, I guess, a better life. And that's when they decided to move and immigrate to the United States. And we traveled quite a bit from there. By the time I was six years old, we came to Nuevo Laredo, Mexico, which is like right in the border town area. And then after that, since there was really no jobs there at the time, they decided to move to Houston, Texas. And that's kind of where I was raised all through my high school years. Okay, so you guys moved to Houston. And so when you were there, when you were young, and people asked you what you wanted to be when you grew up, what do you recall telling them? Well, you know, I think um, in my mind, I already knew what I wanted to be since I was five years old. And I guess a little bit on the background on my family, um, my great grandfather had 14 children. And out of the 14 children, 12 of them were educators. They were teachers and principals. Well, later on, of course, they became principals. But he was a university professor. 
So he had a, a big house. He had three floors. And I remember the third floor was all books. So that's how I learned how to read because he was a university professor. So he was all about reading. And to me, he was my idol. Like I wanted to be just like him. And he's the one that taught me how to read. I, I learned how to read pretty early since, uh, like I said, my parents were teenagers when they had me. There was really no childcare. So they left me with my great grandfather and with his kids. So they were, since they're all educators, they wanted to teach me. So I learned very, very young how to read and write. I was, I think, like four. And since there was no childcare, they just decided to put me in school. So I was just going with them because they were teachers. So since they saw that I could do it, I started school very young. Like I just skipped kindergarten, went straight into first grade. So that's why I think I always wanted to become a university professor, but not a teacher because my aunts were very mean to me. <laughs> they were very strict teachers. So I was like, I do not want to be a teacher. You guys are evil. Like, I, I mean, I guess it's just the, the way that you're raised in Mexico. You, they, they like a certain order. Like even when you copy the notes, they have to be first in black and then blue and then red and a certain pen and, and the certain handwriting. They're very, very strict. So I never wanted to be a teacher. I just remember I, I wanted to be like, like him, like my Abuelo Fausto. So that had always been, if anybody asks me, I'm going to become a university professor one day. And so that was one of your earliest role models. Was there anybody else that you imagine yourself being like? Yes. Uh, well, that was on my uh, grandmother's side. My grandfather was the other person that has always been a role model for me, but he's in, in business. He's an entrepreneur. So his parents for, were from Spain. They both had immigrated to Mexico from Spain and they didn't have anything. So by the time that he was in third grade, my great grandfather pulled him out of school and made him start working. So he learned how to weld but he's one of the smartest people I know. He, he's another one of my role models. He started his business building school furniture by himself. Like he could just see a furniture and figure out how to build it. And I remember seeing that because in the summers, my, my parents always send me with them. So I would see him building his school furniture things, you know, the seeds, desks, the boards. And then he would just carry them in his little truck and go school to school and he built a multi-million pesos organization just with that and with a very, very, I guess, low-level education, you can say. So that's what I decided to go into business. So my, my actual bachelor's degree is on management. Wow, that's amazing to see and such great role models to have at such a young age. So can you tell us about your educational background and if you intended college right after high school? Yes, I think uh, to me, it was never a question because I always wanted to be a university professor. So I think I always knew that I had to go to college for that. The hardest part, I think, uh, at least for me, is since my parents decided to immigrate to a brand new country, right? The language was new. The customs were new. Uh, so when I first came to, to middle school, I mean, I still remember it was in the southern part of Houston. So it wasn't in the, you know, the very low socioeconomic we had about 1,600 students. I was in ESL classes. And I remember working very hard to learn the language. So in about six months, I was able to kind of master it. I mean, my, my accent was not even like Salma Hayek, but it was like really, really bad accent. It took me some years to, to figure out how to 
And I still have it. I tell my kids, as my Salma Hayek accent is never going to go away. But I, I did work hard to, to learn the language. And really, I think I was one of two. There was only two students out of 1,600 that made it into the magnet schools at that time in Houston. So I am, I, it's one of those moments that you're very proud because I, I remember I was, it was second year in the United States when, when I went to eighth grade because I did seventh and eighth grade and then the United States. And they started giving these little awards, you know how they have the award ceremonies in middle school. And I remember that day, my parents couldn't afford dresses. We, we just didn't have money. So I was the only eighth grader with the uniform. Everybody else was all, you know, they get all made do with their, with their hairs and, and their outfits. And here I am wearing this just jeans and the uniform shirt, because that's all we had. And then they start like the principal starts announcing us and they're like well the 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 next young woman or young lady i'm sorry that's going to be receiving the award is and he just kept on saying my name over and over again there was no other eighth graders that day they got an award so my family had traveled from from mexico and and they were just very proud i think it was one of our proudest moments because it just it was hard you know coming to the united states it wasn't easy. We didn't have beds for like a year because we couldn't afford them. So we had to just sleep in the floors. And that was, I think, some of my background when it came to education. So, of course, for high school it was a completely different world. I think that's the first time that I saw the differences between the haves and the have nots. Because my, my middle school was, like I said, a very low socioeconomic. I mean, there were several girls that were pregnant by the time they were in eighth grade. All minorities, you really did not see anything but minorities. I want to say we were probably like 70% Hispanic and 20% Afro-American, but there was nothing else. Uh, very, very few white students, really. And then I make it into the magnet school. So we go to a way more affluent because it's a magnet. I had to travel about two and a half hours to get to that high school. And that high school was four floors. It had an Olympic swimming pool. I was taking Japanese, like things that were not available to, you know, a student with my background had I not been able to, to make it there. I remember we even, because I was starting business, because at that time, I always thought that since I guess it, it was the economic part of it, I, I decided to go into business because I wanted to be some you know, hotshot CFO or CEO that had a lot of money and would never have to go through what I had to go through when I was younger or my kids had to go through that. So that's that's why I went into business. So I was in the business magnet and at the time before the whole Enron scandal, we used to have internships there. So it was a, a very affluent high school class to compare to the middle school I went to. Yeah. So I guess that that's the Houston background. I didn't get to uh, graduate from that high school because my dad got into a really bad accident at the time, so he couldn't work. And then my mother, she had a, a baby, which is my little sister. She was born in Houston, and she was also bedridden. Like, she she couldn't. She had some complications. So it was just us because all our families were in Mexico, so we, we had to go back to Mexico because we, we couldn't. I mean, we were kids. We couldn't survive on our own, so... So I went back for a, a couple of months until they recovered. And then we moved back to the border town. I still remember that I, I, I mean, I cried 
because <laughs> I had worked so hard to make it into a good high school. And then we moved to a border town, which funny enough, I thought was going to be all white people. <laughs> I was like, why would Mexicans want to cross over and stay in the border? That was my thinking at the time. But um, funny enough, it, it's a 98% Hispanic community. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's very different than what, what I thought it was going to be. And I've been here for 20 years. So that's, that's been the, the, I guess, second part of my educational career, which was uh, I graduated high school from this community. I fell in love with the community itself because it's so different from anything else that you'll find in the United States. Uh, my kids, now that I'm an educator, they don't understand that they're minorities. They really don't because here they're not a minority. So it, it's just an interesting thing to see when I was raised, you know, being a minority and an understanding the fact that I was. So that's kind of what has shaped my educational career. Yeah, can you share about when you went to college? When we first came to the United States, my father had been able to fix his documentation status. He was a, a, a resident alien at the time, but he couldn't petition for us. So, and this is before DACA. So there, you're brought into in, into a different country. You learn and you're, you're raised with everybody in the country. So you start you know, falling in love with it, and you start thinking that you're part of that country. But then when it comes to college, you're told that you might not be able to go to college because you're not from this country. And the good thing is that that to me had never really been a question. I just didn't really understand it at the time. So I just went straight to my counselor and I was like, okay, so what do I have to do to go to college? Like, I understand I'm undocumented. Uh, my father has documents, right? But he wasn't able to petition for me. So what are my options? And I remember this clearly. She's like, well, you're in luck because they just passed a brand new law that says that as long as you have some type of guardian that has documents and, you know, they go through the whole income tax payments and everything the, the right way, then you'll be able to go to college and, and apply for it. So that's what I did. But even that was limited because, uh, I mean, you're, you're talking about I graduated top 5% of my class. I skipped two grade levels. So I was always a, a straight A student. And then uh, I start applying for things and here it is. I, I don't qualify for a lot of the help. I don't qualify for Pell Grants. I don't qualify for anything federal. So it was all state and whatever the state could give me and, and, and scholarships. And that's kind of how, how I did it. Uh, thankfully enough, my, gra my grades were high enough for me not to pay anything because my parents didn't have anything. They didn't even think I was going to go to college because they, they kind of figured you know, it might not work out for me. They just never told me. I guess their their background thing was maybe we'll send you back to your grandparents in Mexico and you just go to the university over there. But thankfully, that law that had just passed provided me with an opportunity to do my college career here. So I went into business because that's what I thought. I still wanted to be a hotshot CFO, right? So so that's what I was doing. Then in college is where I met my husband. So when I finished, I still remember, and I was like, okay, so I'm graduating. Um, it was nice seeing you, nice knowing you, but I'm going to have to go back to Mexico because I, I can't work. You know, this is before DACA, so there's, I can't work in the United States. I'm going to have to go back. And I was okay with that because, thankfully, my, my family in Mexico is not that bad, not like other friends of mine that I had met. 
And uh, he's like, no, well, how about we get married? <laughs> it wasn't a romantic proposal like you, you usually hear. Um, but it was, well, let me think about it. I, I wasn't in my plans to get married. But if I was, you know, going to or, or we were going to stay together, it was going to have to be that because I couldn't, you know, how was I going to work and stay in the United States? If really, I had nothing. So after a while, uh, we decided to to get married and we got married. Like he's Hispanic also. So through the whole traditional, you know, asking for permission, the dad and all that stuff. And and, and that's how I was able to fix my immigration status. Yeah. How amazing. And yeah, not romantic, but I'm sure that you were still. <laughs> yeah, we've been together for 17 years, married 14. So it's like not because of the documents. <laughs> like I tell them because that was yeah. passed a long time. So you your experience is quite different than anybody I have interviewed so far. So of course, you even already mentioned about how your thinking was you're going to go back to Mexico. So you get married. And then what? How does that open career opportunities for you then? So also, I guess I, I, I forgot to mention at the beginning, while I was doing my university career, yes, I, it was all paid for, but not the books. Okay, not the books, not the transportation, international students in the universities at the time, I'm pretty sure it's still up to today, you have to have some type of health insurance that you pay on your own. Okay, if you're if you're to attend a public university. So all those things cost money, money that my parents didn't have. So I had to work. Now, the beauty about the community where I live in is that it's five minutes to cross to the Mexican side. You know, nobody else has that that ability to just go between one country and the other. So during the time that I was in high school, I, I was working. I started working very young. I mean, Mexican laws are, are completely different, right? So I was 15 and I was already, I had a job and I had to cross constantly the bridge. Sometimes every day I became, um, there is a, a maquiladoras, what we call over here, which are manufacturing, big manufacturing companies from the United States and different parts of the world that they set up in the Mexican side because of cheap labor. And they always need people that speak English. So just because I spoke English, I became an administrative assistant to a huge manufacturing company, like very, very young. So I was 16. I had my little suit. I was already handling like over $100,000 in monies back and forth and going to college. So I think that also provided me a very unique experience that, you know, people that just stay in the in the U.S. and at least on, on, on my um on my kind of background, don't have, because I was very young and had a very good job, at least in the Mexican side of it, it's a very good job. It's people that, you know, I, I'm working with engineers. Uh, I remember my, my boss was the actual manager, so I was his executive assistant, and he was coming from Ireland. So that provided me, I guess, also a different view on career choices. I still wanted to go that route, I even got offered a very good job, which was a, a sales associate because I, I mean, I spoke English well and I speak and write Spanish fairly well because my first language. So I can do both. I'm not bilingual. Like I tell my students, I'm biliterate. I can read, write on both languages uh, with simplicity. And since I would work on both areas, I was able to do that. He saw that. So I was going to be traveling around the world selling sutures because that's what we used to, to build. But I wanted to 
finish college. So I, I turned down the job and I was like, no, I'm going to finish college. And I did. I mean, I graduated with a 3.9 GPA and working full-time jobs in these different areas. Another thing in my community also, since we're so close to the border, there's a lot of monies on uh, transportation because we're the number one port in the United States. So after I had that job, I also, during the summers, I would take like extra jobs handling the payroll for some of these big transportation companies. So needless to say, I had a lot of work and work experience even before I got married. So by the time I got married, the first thing that they tell you is like, you can't work. So I'm like, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? I was sitting for six months waiting for the whole process to take place. And, you know, you have to submit your paperwork. You have to go to interviews just to make sure that the, the marriage is legal and so on and so forth. And I let's needless to say, I watch way too much sex in the city because <laughs> there was nothing to do. I had never been without working. It was just six months of just sitting and watching sex in the city. <laughs> So right after that, uh, once my, my, my papers came in and I got my social security and my resident alien card, which they give you like a temporary one, then I was able to find job in the U.S. side. And I went with what I knew. So I, I worked also transportation and auditing and accounting. Wow. Wow. Amazing. Yeah, you definitely had a lot of different opportunities by having Mexico close by and so much experience at such a young age. Um, I don't know any 16 year old, except I did have a person that I interviewed. I don't know if you listened to hers. She also worked at the age of 15 and being like a kind of similar, but not not to that level. But yeah, amazing, amazing. And the opportunities are there if you look for them because you could have said, I can't work and that's it. And then I can't work and I can't go to college, but you chose to look for that opportunity for yourself. Now, can you tell me a little bit about your experience networking for your career? Well, the I guess, again, going back to just my uh, uh, hero community, it's so, so close knit to the Mexican side that uh, I was able to find a job with the same company that was on the Mexican side, because many of those companies have companies on, on both areas. They have offices in both areas since they're transportation companies. So I was able to work on this side already once I got my papers and, and I was managing uh, accounting for a huge uh, foreign agency. Uh, pay was good, it's just the hours. The hours were, were, were just something that, and I was fairly young, we were thinking about starting a family. So that's when I was like, well, I said I was never going to do it, but let me try teaching. Either way, <laughs> I'm going to become a university professor at some point. I was thinking I was going to teach finance, you know, and all this stuff, entrepreneurship, economics. I loved economics. I had like a straight 100 in economics. But I was like, I'll try it just for one year. I'll teach something. And, you know, it'll, it'll look good on my resume when I become a university professor. So that's that's what I thought. And, and also my mother-in-law, she was a, a big part of it because she was a teacher. She, and she was like, just try it. You like it. And I'm like, people have been trying to convince me to be a teacher for a long time. <laughs> but now she laughs at me, of course. So I go into teaching with all this background knowledge. And all I'm thinking as, a, as I go in there is I just don't want to be a boring teacher. That's my, that was like my number one goal in life. Because I remember sitting in classes just being bored out of my mind like I 
I was, of course I was gifted. It's like I told my students that we all have our gifted areas. We're all good at something. I was good at school. That was my, that's, that's my superpower, right? So I just did not want to be a boring teacher. I did not want to be like those teachers that I had where I was just bored out of my mind thinking like, when is this going to be over? So I go in there with that thinking first year is hard because it was the hardest thing I had ever done, you know, and, and I think that, that that's interesting when you have people that are very good at things, you know, like I, I, I did have a lot of experience in all different kinds and I was good at what I did always. And it's just so self-reliant because you work hard and you're thinking like, okay, you work hard, you do good. But teaching, teaching, you can be working your butt off and still the kids might not do good. It just depends. It's not about yourself when it comes to teaching. It's not about how good you are. It's about, about how good you can make others be. And I think that was the most challenging thing that I had ever done. So I fell in love with it. I was like, this is the only time I've been challenged in my life. I was like, this kiddos. And I remember my first year. So it took me about three years because since my background is so different, like I did not go the teaching route. It, when you go the teaching route, they throw you into schools, you get to see the classes, you understand what comes with it and all the personality of the kids and what you have to do. But when you're uh, an ACP, that's what we call them because it's an alternative certification route, you don't have that. So I'm here thinking accounting and all this other stuff that I used to do and go into a classroom. It was so eye-opening. I was like, wow, I am not good at something. <laughs> That was the first three months. And I'm like, no, you know what? I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it happen because there's no way middle schoolers can beat me. There's just no way. So I start giving it my all and I fell in love with it. I, 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 I truly did. And I just can't, even up to this day, I don't think I can see myself doing anything else. But at the same time, I think the, my background gave me a completely different perspective and made me a completely different teacher. Because even by my third year, I was already put as a team leader. I already had like 12 teachers under me and I was started teaching at 21, so I was like 24. And I already had, you know, teachers that had been teaching for longer that I had been alive and I was overseeing them. And by my fourth, fifth year, I was nominated for presidential award in, in teaching because of excellence because my kids were outperforming everybody else. And I, I, I say that that happened because I didn't have the usual teaching background. Like I would go in there and I, I remember because this is, came from my marketing class and so I'm a business major. They always told you when you have a product, you have to figure out how to sell that product, right? Well, here I am in a classroom and the product is learning that nobody wants. The kids don't want to learn, <laughs> you know, they're there because they have to. So I'm like, how do I make it that they want it? How do I embellish it so that they actually want what I'm selling? <laughs> so uh, I, I became a gamer. I don't know how I did it, but there was a lot of things that, that, that I taught my students how to do. I used to teach math, sixth grade math. So it was games, games, games. And then by the time they finished my classroom, they could do databases, those kids, because of my background. I was like, okay, this is how you do color formatting in Excel. This is how you create a graph. This is so, so it gave me a, a completely different perspective into my field. 
Wow, amazing. Amazing how you took your learning to help you how to be a better teacher, something that's not that common and how it excelled for you in your career, but also your work experience. Starting at such young age, you gained a lot of maturity that if you don't work before you go to college, before you go into the workforce, you got to learn that maturity. And, you know, brand new teachers sometimes don't have that maturity, but you already had it from when you were 16, working with different types of professionals, different types of personalities. I can't imagine. I mean, you said it was a big challenge for you. I could not imagine teaching. It's funny you mentioned that because I had high school teachers that have um, asked me if I wanted to be a teacher when I was, and I was like, no, I've always been resistant to, even to be a professor. When people have asked me, I'm like, no, I don't want to teach. So I don't know, maybe one day. So I know that you are about to finish your PhD. Can you tell me about that? Yes, of course. I Like I said, my goal had always been to finish a doctorate. That was always my goal. So even before I went into teaching, I had started my master's in marketing. So funny how things work out. So here I become a teacher and I fall in love with it. And I'm like, okay, I'm not going to leave education I just saw myself in those kids and I started thinking my life would not be where it was if it wasn't for school because I had nothing. We don't have, you know, family wealth like other families. So we had to work our way to whatever it is that we had. So every single child that came through my class, it just reminded me of what we had to go through. And especially here in the border, you know, 99% Hispanic, 98% low socioeconomic, they were the exact same person I was at some point. So I fell in love with, I'm like, that's it. I'm not going to change it. So when I was doing the master's in marketing, you had the option of getting a dual degree, which would be valid in the United States and also take the Monterrey and the Mexican side, because since it's Texas A&M International, it focuses more on that since we're so close to the Mexican side. So even I want to say like, it was... 10%, I want to say about between 10 to 20% of the students in the university itself are Mexican. And they're from affluent Mexican families, like they pay their double the amount of tuition to, to be in the, you know, to get a degree from the US. So, so you still have that opportunity and that connection with the Mexican side. And that's what I was doing. I was actually taking master classes fully in Spanish taught by Mexican professors, which is really cool. I I don't see a lot of universities having that, well, at least not in my area. I don't know if they still have those programs, but that's what I was doing. But then I fall in love with teaching and I'm like, no, you know what? No, I want to become a counselor because I like it. I like talking to kids. And I noticed that I had that ability to to talk to them and, and make them better. So I'm like, I want to become a counselor. So I go to the, the graduate school. I sit down. I'm like, okay, I want to become a counselor. What do I do? They're like, look, your business. You have classes in, in your master's that could kind of give you credit for the administration side of school, but not counseling. If you go into counseling, you're going to have to go back and do several prerequisites. And I don't want to do that either. So that's how I ended up in administration. That's how I ended up in, in, in school administration. So I changed it. They, they used all those classes. I finished my master's in administration. And Funny enough, like I said, I excelled at, at being a teacher, right? I do a good job. And usually in the teaching field, if you do a good job, they give you more work. Not more pay, just more work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
So I'm here leading the whole group of teachers, doing all this extra stuff. I have math counts. I have chess club. I have a bunch of other different clubs that that, that I oversaw. Again, not extra pay. I just did it because I liked pushing my students as much as I could. And I remember this conversation with my principal and I'm like, okay, so I know for a fact that when you give my classes, you're giving me the kids that misbehave the most in the elementary, because how funny that there's a list of 16 troublemakers and I get 14 of them. And then you give two to all the other teachers. And then I don't get any advanced classes, right? And I provided for you. My scores are good. Give me the algebra class. That's all I wanted because I really liked algebra. I wanted to teach algebra. And he's like, okay. But then the new year comes around and I don't get that class. And then, you know, being young, you're like, I get upset. And I'm like, you know what? I've worked so hard for everything. The only thing I'm asking is to teach an algebra class. Like I would like to have an advanced class. I think that I can push those kids to the, I don't mind working with kids that are at lower levels because that's what I'm good at, but one class. So then with that, I decided to use my administration degree because I, by this time I already finished with my master's in education. So I can become an, an assistant principal. So I go and I'm like, you know what? That's it. I'm going to go ahead and apply. I haven't applied to be an assistant principal. So I'm going to go ahead and do it. So I apply. There's two school districts where I'm at. So one, the school district where I was at is the biggest one but it's a little bit more bureaucratic, right? Usually it, it was at the time, it was very difficult to become an assistant principal without having been anything or the middle, which is coordinators and different other job description things where you are a supervisor, but you're not at the, at the assistant principal. So I applied to the neighboring district. So first interview, I get it. <laughs> it was meant to be. Yeah, it's funny because I, I mean, I was I was just kind of, you know, tempting the waters because I got upset at my principal. I did not think I was going to become an assistant principal. So, so far. I was 28 years old. It's, it was usually it's not very common that, that that somebody so young becomes an assistant principal, especially in the secondary level. Right. Because I mean, teenagers are teenagers. I love them to death, but they're you know, they're hard. They're the hardest age group, I, I think. So I tell my husband, I'm like, oh, my God, I applied for these two jobs and I got it. So what do I do? And he's like, look, assistant principal is very difficult to get at your age, you know, but I don't want to leave my school district. I tell him and he's like, well, you go where you know where you go, where you're needed. So that's how I ended up becoming a, a, an assistant principal so young. And um, and then I fell in love with it. Too. I don't <laughs> know what it is. About it. I was like, I like this. So when, when I was looking into my doctorate programs, because I always wanted a PhD, I wanted something, you know, I want to research, I want to write, but looking at it, I couldn't find a program that, because I also have children. I, I mean, I had my little girl and I'm like, there's just no way I can travel. Um, and, and during those years, the universities had decided that any PhD program was going to be held within their big, you know, their, their parent university. So we're over here is the intern, it's Texas A&M International. So it's just kind of like a branch. So I could not do a PhD. So here I am looking, I'm like, okay, I cannot travel on Tuesdays and Thursdays so far up north to, to college station to pursue this. Like I don't have the money and I don't have the time and my kids. I mean, imagine where am I going to see them? And work, not to mention. So it just happened that uh, there was this superintendent here, superintendent of the year. He was such an inspiration 
to me, Dr. Nelson, he's one of the best. Well, he was, I'm sorry. He just passed away this year. It was unexpected and, and sad for all of us. So he's the one that hired me. He saw something in me. He gave me a chance. And it's just funny how things work because really I applied for the job just because I was upset at my principal. So I apply for this job. I go in and, and then he's like, you know what? Let me see what we can do. I remember going to his office for the, because you have two interviews over here for administrator. You have to pass the first round. First round, it was 40 applicants just on the first round. And then uh, second round, they only pick two. And out of those two, you, you, you're the finalist. So they pick. And, and he saw something on me because I actually didn't even get the job. It was a friend of mine that got the job. And then he's like, you know what? Let me see what I can do. And he opened up a position for me. So he must have seen something. And as I moved on to this new school district, he had a, a, an EDD. He had a doctorate from Texas A&M Commerce. So I looked into the program that he did and even my professors remembered him and that's the program that I did just uh, following your role models like you say yeah and thankfully I'm done I just defended on May oh, May the 4th congratulations I was like oh, yes I'm a geek so I'm like May the 4th <laughs> yeah what an excellent day that's also my husband's birthday yeah I defended on April Fool's Day <laughs> But see, we'll never, we'll never forget those dates, I think. I know. Mine's, yeah, it's my favorite. April Fool's, I was like, of course, of course. <laughs> so that is amazing to hear. So you currently are a principal now? Yes, now I'm a principal. I stayed on the that school district, which is funny because I when I, we first moved from Houston over here, I come to this high school, which is completely different than my last one. Like I said, over there, it was, it was Lamar High School. So it's right next to Galleria. So it's more the more affluent kind. And then I come over here to Martin High School, which is back again in the inner city. Um, it's the community itself, because I love them. But it's, it's, it's hard living in, in this area. That, that high school itself, I mean, the state almost took over that high school. That's how, how bad it was. So then, right, I, I was an assistant principal for six years in the same district where I graduated from, because that's where I, when we moved over here, I ended up graduating from that, that high school. And then I applied to become a principal. And this is already going to be my third year. I, I got an elementary, Anita Dovalina Elementary, which is literally 15 feet from the river, the Rio Grande so it comes with its own set of challenges. It's a beautiful community. My kids, I fell in love with them too. I'm, I'm telling you, this is just where I belong. I, I think when you do career choices and you have this set idea and planning your head as to what is it that you're going to become when you're older and yet life throws stuff at you and you just end up in the right place. But I think for the most part, not everybody, because I have seen teachers that do not belong in teaching. But I just feel that if you follow what you like, you'll end up there and be happy doing it. So I start my principalship three years ago, and I didn't even know where the school was. And I'm from this community. So I was like, how can I? Well, I didn't know where it was because it's literally right next to the river. I didn't even know that there's a small little community called La Ladrillera. It's so old. 
and the houses are dilapidated. It's most likely, I want to say, the lowest economic neighborhood in our whole community, easily, one of the lowest. And I just, I, I fell in love with it. It's a blue ribbon campus. It has awesome teachers and you would never expect the blue ribbon campus to be in that area just this school year we dealt with about seven apprehensions within our school because what happens is that we're so close to the river we keep on getting people crossing the river through our side so it's hard i'm not gonna say it's not it is very it's very difficult because like i said there might be families looking for a better life crossing that river but it also might be cartel people crossing that river with bundles of different types of drugs. And then I have to protect the kids that go to that school. So that's the hardest, but I, I wouldn't have it any other way. I mean, I, I love being there. I've met some wonderful educators and right now we're building a $15 million brand new school. So we're split into three. So it's construction, pandemic, and all this border patrol issues <laughs> happening on a daily basis at the campus. Amazing. Well, they are so fortunate to have you, someone that's passionate and in love with the students, with the community. It's a rare find to find people like that. And, you know, you mentioned that everything has worked out for you. And but there is people, right? There's people everywhere that are unhappy with what they're doing. And something that you did that I believe people who are unhappy are not doing is following those opportunities that open, right? We say, no, 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 I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. But hey, how about just giving it a try? Give it a try and see what happens. I mean, I feel like that's been everything you've said. I'm like, okay, well, I'll go ahead and just give this a try for a little bit. Right. And we can all do that. Give it a try for a little bit. And if it's not for you, then try something else. Being open to those ideas. But please move on. I, I just don't think I could be in a place where I'm not happy. And that's what I tell my students, because it's, it's so difficult when it comes to career choices. Students always ask that and, and they default to stuff that they've seen, even with my, my my siblings, because since, like I said, my parents were teenage parents. Right. So. I had to mature also, like you said, I had to mature for one way or the other faster than everybody else. And I would take care of them because my parents were always working. They, you know, even up to this day, they're bus drivers, my parents. So the one that that had to kind of take ownership of those kids were, was me. It actually funny story that does the, the youngest, my, my sister was my student. Oh, wow. She was my student. That was a whole interesting, completely <laughs> different story, but it was really fun even up to this day. She always comes and, and comes with me. So her friends, they're my students, you know, they're her friends. So we, we became very close because uh, she was she was with me for three years and she blossomed as a student and I wouldn't have it any other way. So my daughter, the youngest one, because I have a toddler, she, she just turned four. Uh, she's also my student. I also put her in my campus because I just feel like you work as hard for your own kids you know that so if I treat every single one of my students as my own then I'm the best place for them to be and that's what I saw with, with my sister like she she was my student and she blossomed just in the three years that I had her she went from always failing to a GT student just because I was there to guide her and not every kid has that opportunity and it's important when it comes to career choices but 
one of the funny thing is, is like also my brother, my brother, like he was, I'm the oldest. So it's like, I took him to college and I was like, all right, start looking. What is it that you want to do? And, and kind of trying to guide them. The first thing I told him is you're not going to become a teacher. <laughs> and hear me out. Hear me out. This this is my theory. And I stick by it up to this day. The more I see, like, I'm, I don't, I'm not saying like education is such a big, diverse, controversial and, and really difficult field because it's not the same in every community. It's very different for every community. But I have a big problem with the education field itself. Because if you go into education to become a teacher, what happens if you hate it? Then your degree does not allow you for anything else. That's my big beef with it. Because what happens is that you end up in education. And then if you hate it, you're stuck. And that's when you have your really bad teachers. So when I had my brother and my sister, I told them, look, guys, you're not going to become teachers. You're not going through the education field. And you're not going through it because what I want you to do is have a degree that will allow you to move if you don't like it. Because if you don't like it, then it's bad for you and it's bad for those kids that are under your care. And it can be so bad that you're going to mess up their life. And I had my share of bad teachers. I had one in particular that I'm telling you stuff happens to me. And I had one that was a really bad teacher. I remember in high school in the community that I said, and, and one of the things he said, he was very upset with me because I always corrected him because I was a nerd, you know, I knew stuff. I read a lot and I was like, uh, sir, you're, the way that you're teaching, like what, you, what you're telling us, I remember up to this day, it was, it, it was biology. It's wrong. Like it's, it's wrong. I know for a fact, I just read this. It's wrong. So he took me out and he told me, you know what? You're never going to amount to anything. You're never going to amount to anything because you hear you are, you think you're smart, but it's the people you hang out with, all this stuff. Like, I just remember those words. You're never going to amount to anything. And then I become an administrator. And guess what? I become his supervisor. <laughs> wow. Wow. Well, so I feel for those kids that have to go through people like this that are so bad at what they do and they're bad at what they do because they hate it it's not because they're bad human beings it's not because they're bad people they just become so upset about their life situation that they take it out on kids and that's not right so that's why i i feel like i told them you're not going to go through the education field like it's i feel like you need to get a degree in something else so my brother got it in biology and then my sister uh got it in management like me and then from there, I was like, you want to try teaching? Go for it. You might fall in love with it like I did. So my brother actually became a teacher in the same school where I taught for three years. And then later on, he's like, no, you know what? It's okay. I mean, I don't mind teaching. And he wasn't a bad teacher, but he's like, I don't see myself doing this for the rest of my life. So he applied for customs and now he lives in California. But see, it gave him an out. Yeah. Yeah. If you have an education degree... And I know people that decide, you know what, teaching is not for me after you have an education degree. So you've spent all this amount of money and you don't like it. And now you have to start from scratch somewhere else. Yeah, well, and it, it goes back to perspective because there is people with education degrees that go elsewhere. It's really about believing that you can find something. But those in the education field really feel stuck, I'm sure. Some of them and some are great at it. There are some that did the education field and they become and they love it and they're good at it. It's just those 
few that don't. Yeah. Yeah. So now looking back at your career so far, were there any missed opportunities that you look back at and think, wow, like, I'm so glad that I didn't go for that opportunity or that you didn't actually have that opportunity after all? Well, you know, thinking about back, I did have some opportunities. I don't know if I, I'm to the point where, because I really don't know where my life would have been, right? But like, for example, that that position, what they offer me where I would be selling and I would have be traveling all around the world. I don't know, maybe my life would have been better. I don't know. Uh, and not that my life is bad at all. I'm just saying uh, it's just that I wanted something really bad, which was to have a career. And I don't regret it because it is what I love. And I'm in a place where I love. But I don't know. It's all about opportunity cost, I guess. It's, it's, that's a, you know, that's a business, a business concept for me. But it's just, I would, I wouldn't have it any other way. It's just at the time you really have to look inside and, and figure out what is worth to you. And I think that, and to me, having an education was worth for me. And, and even now, because I, I graduate with a doctorate in, uh, on August 13th, and like tons of my family is coming over, you know how Mexican, <laughs> Mexican families are, but they're huge. And they're, so I have to like already set apart the whole house that we're going to have to rent for the graduation because they're all coming over. And, and, and I mean, I don't regret any of those missed opportunities um, just because I found the career that I love. That's just, I guess, all I have to say for that question. Yeah, yeah. They All the no's got you to where you are now. And so I know you mentioned that you are doing a leadership program. Tell me about that. Okay, so working with middle schoolers is has its own set of challenges. And anybody in education are going to know that. Uh, I think it is the, the most important age group, though, in education, because once you're in the middle, and that's what I would tell my students, like, right when you're in the middle is when you start deciding what your life path is going to take you. You can go, when people tell you you can be anything you want to be is not necessarily a good thing. And that's why I guess adults try to sell that to kids. You can be anything you want to be. But what if they want to be gang members? What if they want to be, you know, especially since Netflix comes out with all this narcos and La Reina del Sur and here in the border, that is difficult. That uh, guides students to not the right thing and embellishes the life of crime, I think. You know, this is just, again, my, my perspective. So one of the things that I wanted to do is build a group. And I tried it with boys but uh, it's difficult being a female and I'm more of a feminist. So I noticed that the relationships that I'll build with my female students were a little bit different than the ones with my male students, right? So I started a leadership program for only female students because to me that serve as a guide. And I've noticed that fairly early in my career, especially when I became an, an, an assistant principal because I like eyeliner. I put a lot of eyeliner when I have my makeup done. You don't see it right now, but I put a lot of eyeliner. And then little by little, I started noticing that my, some of my sixth graders were doing the, the, the eyeliner exactly like me. And I'm like, huh, so that's role modeling. <laughs> so, 
So you have a lot, like kids are just absorbing everything they see about you. And to me, female leadership is important. And it's even even in education, let's just look at the educational career. 80% of our teachers are female. And then you go into administration and only 50% of your administrators are female. And then you go to superintendent and maybe what, 10% are female? So how is it that that's happening when you had 80% female at the beginning? You see, so when you start looking at these things, then you need to start building or making your girls, especially as a a girl mom, because I also have girls, they need to start understanding that there is a discrepancy. And not so much about that there is a discrepancy is how we're going to fix that discrepancy. So the, the female leadership group that, that I started, they were called the Lionesses because that was our mascot at the middle school that I started with. And, and then I left, but it's still going on. I was able to get female teachers that kind of guided and it became a thing. And it was all about empowering them and getting them to work together. Because one of my big theories is that if you notice males, even in the educational field, in the business field, they like to push each other up. Like one moves up and then they pull their friends with them. You know, they pull their people with them. And females are a little bit more competitive. So you move up, but you're like, I don't I don't want her to move up. And it shouldn't be like that. So that's kind of what, what that was about. Uh, we wanted to instill in the girls since they were young that it's not about so much competition. Like it's about forming alliances and building each other up so you can compete at the same level the men are. And then we would do a bunch of different things like visiting universities, having, we had Miss Texas USA coming and talking to the girls about it, different type of leadership positions. They would do community service for, for the community. They would go to Bethany House and all these other different nonprofit organizations here that we have to build our, our community. And that was the whole idea, like build your community, build your people up. So it was nice. With the little ones, it's a little bit different because they're little. I mean, I have pre-K through fifth grade. I think it's, but it was a very good program for the middle schoolers. Yeah, that's, that's, and that's perfect timing. Like you said, it really is when people start, when you get that divide, right? Which way you're going to go. And that's amazing. Amazing. And especially the building each other up instead of seeing each other as competition. That is so true. You know, you stop being friends and, you know, start fighting over a boy or, you know, who looks better and what. And by really instilling that in these girls at that age, when we are beginning to recognize the differences in us to support each other. Well, is there any other career advice that you would like to share with the listeners? Um, I guess my only advice is, is find something that makes you happy. I mean, I know it sounds cliche, but having a business degree and being in so many different fields, I mean, sales, you name it. This is what makes me happy working with kids. It's what makes me, and I'm not saying it's all like pink roses and flowers because it is not. There are some days that I want to pull my hair out, especially with some parents, you know, (laughs) or some teachers or even, or I don't know, different things. But every day when I go back to work and I see their little faces, like yesterday, I just took over a class and I started teaching math to them. And, and then just the way they see me, like the way they see the adult, you know, with, with their little eyes and hope, they're the best people to work with because they are people. You know, they have their own set of personalities, their own set of wants, their own set of needs. It's just that sometimes adults don't yeah. stop and listen. And um, 
that's just my advice. It's the same advice to give to them. Like when you're when you're looking to find what you want to be in life, it's difficult to know. I am I'm telling you, there's it's difficult. You gotta try all the different flavors until you find the one you like. I think so. Working young is important because I, I that's just my perspective when it comes to careers. Like trying different things is important because how are you gonna find what you like if you didn't try? Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate having you and congratulations on your graduation, Doctora Peña. <laughs> thank you so much. I appreciate Thank you so much for the invite. It was fun. I hope I didn't ramble. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. And if anybody wants to reach you, how can they reach you? Yes, of course. Well, we do have a Facebook page. I think that's the one that I keep up the most. Uh, since I'm a business major, I marketed my school tremendously. So you can find me at Facebook at Anita Dovalina Elementary School. That's our, our Facebook page. And my email is K Peña, which is just PS in purple, E-N-A, because we don't have the N <laughs> at LaredoISD.org. Okay, great. And I'll include that in the show notes for anybody that is interested in connecting with you and learning more about you or how they can support you and everything that you're doing. Thank you again so much. Right. Your story is so inspiring. And I know that so many people will hear your story and just know that they can do it. They can do it too. Definitely. Well, I appreciate your time. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for listening to the Manifest Your Career podcast with me, your host, Dr. Norma Reyes, a Latina career and life coach. 